Willem is back for NBS 29. Today we go through the Iliad and talk about a few things that Willem has been thinking about um, relating the Iliad to his daily life. Uh, so we go through some things like human nature being consistent throughout time, uh, the effect of sportsmanship on violence and how that relates to modern day violence and sports. And we talk about how you can grow uh, your beliefs by um, learning in areas that challenge them, uh, along with several other things. Um, so I hope you enjoy. And if you want to support the podcast, uh, either share it with somebody who you think might like it, uh, or give me some feedback. Uh, so without further ado, here's Willem Nielsen. All right, Willem, welcome back. Number three. What's good? <laughs> All right, today. So we were talking earlier this week, and you said, hey, I want to talk about the Iliad, but I haven't figured out how to apply it yet. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully you've had a chance to think about that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. We both got our copies. Yes, so. sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, so talk to me. What uh, what are you noticing? What stands out to you about the Iliad? So um, the first, I mean, obviously the first thing that jumps out at me is just the, the human, the, I feel like Homer gets the human nature really well. Like he captures okay. it well. Um, and it's also like the, the, um, the similarity between back then and now is striking to me. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, like when Achilles gets, um, Agamemnon takes Achilles' um, prize from the war mm -hmm. and out of, and it's kind of, it's so petty what he does. He like basically says, I'm going to let you guys lose the war. I'm not even going to fight because this guy took my prize. So that was one thing. It's just like the continuity of human nature. Yeah, for sure. I, I've been thinking about this a lot because um, I read this book or read part of this book um, by Ray Kurzweil, who was mm -hmm. the director of engineering at Google for a while. And he wrote a book titled the singularity is near uh, when bio or when technology transcends biology or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and he's kind of outlining this picture of um, evolution and um, technological improvement that results in humans essentially becoming like godlike. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's an interesting argument because if you look at exponential growth in the last like, you know, 20, 50 years, it's like the mm -hmm. technological improvements have been astounding, but then mm -hmm. you read a book like Iliad and you're like, how much has actually changed? Mm -hmm. uh, we're still doing the same things just with, with, in a different context. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I guess, what else was I going to say? Like the, the, also the fighting of it, like, you know, um, you see the similarities with the escalation of violence and how mm -hmm. 
the whole Trojan War started with, um, you know, he, someone just took Helen. What was, oh yeah, Paris took Helen. Mm-hmm. And, and so then someone on the Greeks got tight and then they attacked the Trojans and then it just kind of built up. But what's a, a difference that I noticed between back then and today is that a lot of times the, the war is like ritualized. And what I mean by that is like, it's interesting because they're fighting and they're killing each other, but they also have some agreements. Like the, there's one time where they like agree to take a couple of days to burn the bodies. Yeah. Or there's one time where they agree, okay, we'll just have a one-on-one right now. Right. And I was thinking it would be like if, if the U.S. is like fighting, I don't know, terrorists or something, and Obama like was like, All right, I'm a challenge Bin Laden to a one-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> but it would just be like completely unheard of. So, right. right, like our our notion of war is just absolute competition with no cooperation. Interesting. But there's they have some cooperation. They have some rules that they don't break which I thought was interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the, I'm thinking of, I have here the duel of Hector and Ajax. So that's like yeah. one of the one V ones. And then there's also the point where they play like the war games. I can't remember yeah. if that's, um, or no, it's the funeral games. Um, have you finished? No. Okay. Well, there, there's a point where they play like funeral games, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the games are like them fighting basically. Um, which is interesting. I think there's a couple like comparisons maybe you could make. One would be to professional sports. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's the closest thing we have to that level of, you know, mm-hmm. cooperation in violence. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that there's something like important about understanding that? I feel like it, I mean, my, so I heard the thing about ritualize. So I read the Iliad and then I heard the thing about how the past people ritualized war. And I kind of connected the dots because I did notice how like they would have some agreements, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I heard the thing in a listening to a Gerard podcast about how in the past, we had war. We had rules around war that limited the violence. So, you know, there's cases where, in like I think it was like the 18th century or something, where the officers they go home during certain seasons of the war. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's almost like an NBA season kind of. Yeah. Like yeah. you fight <laughs> during a certain season, and then everyone takes a break. Yeah. So it's just kind of crazy how like they're killing each other, but they're agreeing on things. And right. So the, the idea is that now we, we kind of don't have that anymore, which it hurts us because we, it doesn't allow for us to um, limit violence, you know? Interesting. Yeah. I'm even thinking of um, like David and Goliath, basically like, mm-hmm. you know, they each side sends out their guy and they're like, all right, one V one, whoever wins mm-hmm. takes it all. <laughs> like imagine if, yeah, that's just, 
I can't imagine that. Imagine like in yeah. an NBA game where like, all right, you send out LeBron, you send out Steph, one v one, whoever wins takes the takes the finals. Yeah, yeah, it's so crazy that they do that. Um, so, so go ahead. Your your point about controlled violence limiting the rest of mm-hmm. violence, and that's that's you know that's Gerard thoroughly Gerard. Um, mm-hmm. How how would one put that in place? Because it's hard to say like, oh, we should go to war more often. Um, does that mm-hmm. question make sense? Yeah, like you're saying like, how would we get to the point where we start having these rituals in war? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I feel like, I guess, how did it, I'm a, I don't know, but how did it happen in the past? Like how do they how do they get to the point where they have these rules? Um, I feel like it's kind of like a thing where there there was a lot of war, like there was a lot of little violence in the past. Mm-hmm. So you kind of over time you naturally develop rules that um, benefit both sides, kind of. So it's like you're gonna fight; it's inevitable. But the societies where they find rules to limit it will do better. Yeah. So it's kind of like um, Darwinian in yeah. that way, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. And it makes me think of uh, Taleb as well, where like the, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm thinking of like, oh, when you have a bunch of, or maybe I guess this is more Gerard, but when you have a bunch of little violence, it actually contains the bigger violence. But then when you're there's like a period of silence, it's like mm-hmm. that it could mean that there's something bigger brewing. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I think that is Gerard. For sure. That's also like the, the turkey problem of Taleb. Right. Where yeah. it's like the the turkey um Every day before Thanksgiving, he thinks he's safer and safer because there's more and more peace. Yep. And there's less and less violence towards him. And the day of Thanksgiving, he thinks he's the safest. And that's when he gets killed. So it's like uh, you can't automatically just extrapolate from data necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, that that is... uh... Can can gamesmanship in violence prevent large scale violence? Is an interesting yeah. question. Yeah. And I and like you could take a, an example of something like the Olympics, right? So like think of the Olympics during the Cold War, where you have this mm-hmm. like rivalry between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. How much how much does that help? Kind of prevent like how much is that an outlet for? competition and violence mm-hmm. um and is that level of gamesmanship actually like enough mm-hmm. yeah like it kind of reminds me of also when i've heard like because uh, i love hip-hop so i remember listening to like one of these grandmas of a rapper and they were talking about the violence of um different of how black communities 
get into like gang violence. And they were saying how before back in like the early 20th century, early 1900s, or I'm not sure exactly when, but before like modern era, um, they had feuds and they would just fist fight and they would just square up, fight it out. You know, people would get black eyes, you get hurt, it's not good. Um, but then it would be over. Whoever wins the fight, you know, it's kind of, that's the, the end of it. But now it's like these young kids who are full of like pride have um, ability to access guns. Mm-hmm. And so they they don't have that limiting factor of where we just square up. And so in some ways it's worse because then you have either no no violence, no fighting, or just complete escalation where you're you're killing someone. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and and that's kind of that seems to be the trajectory of war. Like we're we're at a point now where, you know, obviously there's the war in Ukraine. Um and there's smaller wars, you know, often, but the number of small scale wars at least in the West has like drastically decreased right. in the last 20 years. And then there's the threat of nuclear bomb, you know, right. on the horizon. So you right. can see how that analogy of the, the gang kind of carries over into like um, geopolitical stuff as well. Um, mm-hmm. So there's your kind of like microcosm, macrocosm, uh, mm-hmm. fractal, fractal understanding <laughs> of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so one question I have, this is something I've been thinking about a lot is you're kind of saying, okay, that human nature doesn't seem to change. And that's like a big thing you can gain from the Iliad. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what does that mean for quote unquote human progress? Um, Mm -hmm. if human nature itself isn't changing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I have no idea, but like the answer that immediately pops into my head is just that our technology has gotten better, but our behavior is the same. And so we're interacting with this new, these new tools and it gives us different behavior. Um, but it's similar because our biology hasn't had the time to evolve. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, for example, um, this is how I how I've been thinking about the AI progress that's been made, mm-hmm. um, because I think a lot of people tend to think about a they tend to dramatize the, that that um, you know that progress and think like oh we're AI is going to take over the world. It's going to replace all the jobs and, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. My counter argument would be it's um, what's happened with all the technological advancements in the past mm-hmm. is they just shift w- um, who has power, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that it doesn't necessarily, most technologies aren't uh, like democratizing or uh, making things more equal. So, mm-hmm. and sometimes they are, um, 
something like, you know, the car or I, I don't know, there are examples. Mm -hmm. um, but particularly with AI, where it's so data driven, I'm like, I, I expect that it would just give more power to the people who have the tool um, mm -hmm. and can profit off of the tool. Mm -hmm. um, so can I say something about that? Yeah. So well, I remember I was definitely afraid of getting my job taken as a software engineer. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so as a I, programmer, yeah. So I was like, yeah, I was telling my friends, like, um, this is like a year, like six months ago. I was like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to do? People don't even realize AI is going to be so big. And And then I was reading this book about economics. Um, it's called Economics in One Lesson. I forget who it was by, I think Henry Hazlitt or something. But he is talking about how every time there's a technology, people, the workers get worried. Literally every new technology. So like when he gave this example of in the factories where the um, it was like something about spinning yarn. And they were talking about Oh, um, there's this new tool that like sews the yarn for us and we don't have to do it by hand. And all the workers who were experts in sewing yarn were like, um, oh my God, my job's gone and I'm never going to get another job again. But it turns out, so there was this whole protest and the word, have you ever heard of a Luddite? Yeah. So a Luddite comes from the, those people, I think. Okay. And so they were the original anti-tech. Somebody who's, okay, yeah, resistant to technological advancement. Yeah. And so, um, what was I saying? So, yeah, so they they got their jobs taken. But now it's obvious to us that, that it was fine because the world, you get more efficient and there's other jobs that come around. There's always jobs that you never even think could, like, you think the person spinning yarn was like, it's okay, I'm going to be a software engineer. No, they didn't even know what a software engineer was. So as you get a more efficient, there tends to be new jobs that come in. And um, overall, replacing jobs has been good. And we get, and humans get fooled by it every single time. They think, oh my God, my job's going to get taken. And then it ends up being better for everyone. Yeah. Which, again, really connects to the black swan idea of like, you can't know what you don't know. So like, there's mm -hmm. no way for you to predict something on the other side of, uh, you know, an event that really shifts the, the climate. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like understandable why people would get, you know, scared. But then at the right. same time, it's like you just it's just a. Uh, an ignorance. It's not necessarily like a reasonable fear. But also, um, also, it's like, um, it is, it is bad for some people. Like, I, I want to make, I don't want to make it seem like it's all good. Like, they, those people probably had to, their lives got worse for a little bit. And eventually, the society adjusted and recovered, you know. So, um, if, 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 if someone takes, if the AI takes my job, you know, I can't be a programmer or whatever, then I know that society will be more efficient. And so I'll probably be able to find some other job. 
Yeah. And maybe I lose money, but it's okay because I'm okay as long as society keeps getting better and better, you know. That's not really what I'm afraid of. Right. So you're saying as long as it's a net gain for society. Uh, what, like, how are you envisioning net gain to society? Is it like increased standard of living or like, what are you picturing? Yeah. So, uh, like, yeah, just like general metrics like that, it does get better. So okay. I'm not afraid. Basically what I'm trying to say is I'm not afraid of AI taking my job. Yeah. But I'm afraid of technology in that it, it causes new things to happen that we can't ex anticipate and that right. could affect future people negatively. So like, for example, coal mining was fantastic for people when they first invented it, right? It's like, oh my God, we have a more efficient way to heat up our houses, okay? But what they didn't realize is it has a long-term effect. So I'm much more worried about the long-term effect than losing the short-term job, right? So that's what I think about it. Right. Okay. Um, okay, cool. I still want to push into, um, and maybe this connects to your view of, um, what was it? Effective um, Altru altruism. Yeah. So the goal is like a net positive for society, even with, you're saying with technology, you take the small hit in favor of a greater long-term effect on, on the whole of society. So between the, the view on technology and also the effective altruism, mm -hmm. what are you, what are you expecting as a gain? Like, is it, is it like, oh, m more people live longer? Is it more people um, say that they're happier? Like what, what are those metrics that you'd be looking for? Um, the way I think about it is like, yeah, just people don't die kind of, mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, maybe it is a net positive in some metrics, but then you still have the problem of unchanging human nature. <laughs> so maybe like the standard of the standard of living in world war two was higher than it was, uh, mm -hmm. in world war one, but then you have the use of the nuclear bomb mm -hmm. and killing millions of people. So, mm -hmm. you know, with every new, um, technological advancement, um mm -hmm. there there come new problems as well uh right okay so i see what you're is, saying can you can you outpace the problems right yeah so this is something i'm deeply conflicted about okay because okay for the longest time i was like okay pro tech we just need we need look how much good technology has done you know it cured disease it um our state our we live longer now etc etc but um but then i ch changed my mind because mm -hmm. i realized okay technology so basically our lives are all better right now than the hunter gatherers 
pretty much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but ne- the hunter gatherers didn't have a chance to blow themselves up all at once, right. which is right. a serious problem because, okay, the hunter gatherers, let's say there's a thousand tribes. Um, the chances that all a thousand die at once is so small because they they have no connection to each other, right? They're, it they're take, individual parts. It would take an external event, like a, a global event. Right. Uh, yeah. And even if it was like a hurricane, I mean, we survived an ice age. Even if it was like a huge hurricane that hit the Americas, you know, the people in Europe are fine. You know what I mean? So my point is just we were much more robust as a race mm. back then, even though our lives were all worse, right? Yeah. So that's why I'm deeply conflicted because it's like there's such huge benefits and such huge trade-offs that I just don't know what to think. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I and yeah, when you're thinking of like the um when you're looking at it from a Darwinian perspective, right? The you say, okay, the hunter-gatherers were more capable of surviving in their environment as kind of individual groups. So if you take like mm-hmm. five hunter-gatherers and then you take like me, you, we take Mattia, we take Tate, mm-hmm. like we're screwed. <laughs> we're, we're screwed if we're like just trying to kind of survive off the land. Right. Yet as a as a society of let's say just america you know whatever 330 million people we're so mm-hmm. much more capable um than the hunter gatherers but with mm-hmm. such a greater risk so mm-hmm. from an evolutionary perspective you're you're saying like okay there are some short-term gains to be had in technological mm-hmm. advancement but mm-hmm. does that actually provide the long-term gains of mm-hmm you know, continuing to improve Mm -hmm. or do we just wipe ourselves out? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And also like, I mean, I kind of made it sound like I'm pro tech, but like in terms of like the thing about replacing jobs, but Mm -hmm. um, I've considered, like I'm considering, you know, moving to the country and like living um like my one of my dreams is to move to the country and live off the land you know what yeah. i mean because i feel like it's healthier because mm-hmm. a lot of these things is like the way i think about health is like if it's the, the kind of like the paleo perspective which is we evolved in a in a certain environment mm-hmm. we changed our environment a lot which gives us a lot of these health problems um, and so we can try to do the science and try to figure out everything for this new environment or and that takes a lot of effort. It's like, you have to read all the papers. You have to understand the human body incredibly well to know exactly what stretch to be doing, or you could just go to the fields and run around and it should have the, the same effect. You know what I mean? So it's like a yeah. dumb, it's like a simple yeah. way to get the same results in terms of health. So that's another thing where I'm like, um, I feel like I should 
give up technology for my own personal health. Interesting. Do you know the guy, um, I think it's like Brian Johnson or something like that. The billionaire who's like spending all the money to try to like reverse aging. No. Okay. I'll send it to you after and I can include like a, a link to his YouTube, but he, he's a billionaire and basically he's like, he spends hours a day, like millions of dollars a year, just trying to stop himself from aging. Mm -hmm. So like there are some biological markers of age. I think it's like telomere length or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he's doing all, he does all this research and everything. And he takes like, you know, there's pictures of like him with a, like a hundred vitamins in his hand, you know, and he's just like mm -hmm. taking them all. And so to me, that's this, that's kind of what you're talking about. Like there's this yeah. picture of like, we can either go the route of understanding our biology, like through science, we understand our biology and then we create a bunch of ways to meet those biological needs. That, so that's kind of the way he's going, right? Mm -hmm. Or we go like what you're saying, we go back to the context of um, our, you know, our, where we biologically were evolved to fit or designed to fit. You can make mm -hmm. the argument either way. Um, but the, the reality is we can't outpace or outgrow our biology or mm -hmm. quote, our quote unquote human nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to me, the two paths meet, it's like, I eventually, if we learn about our biology enough, we're going to mm -hmm. have to realize that the best thing is, mm. you, you know, what, maybe it's regenerative farming, you know, where you're, mm -hmm. you, you know, or it's hunter gathering or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard for me to imagine a world in which the, our ability to produce technology beats, like mm -hmm. outperforms the environment mm -hmm. that we were originally in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, I agree with you, I think, but to push back, I would say, I think at first I was like, all right, we got to go all the way back. Mm -hmm. If you want to get the true health effects, you can't, you have, you can't have light. You need to live by the fire. Yeah. You can't have electricity. Exactly. <laughs> but then I was thinking like, well, there, I feel like there are some instances where you can change your biology. You can change your environment um, and still be okay. Like, for example, like farming. Um, farming was incredibly, is an incredibly new technology relative to human um, race lifespan. But, but I think, you know, it's still, I wouldn't say like, we can't do farming. You know what I mean? Because it's like, okay, it has some bad effects. Like maybe you eat too much grain, your breath stinks, but you can kind of get around, you can get around it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I feel like just completely going all the way back is wrong you know yeah 
Yeah, so you're you're introducing the option of a middle ground. Like there is an aspect of human biology which is suited to like living in a home uh, mm -hmm. of some kind and actually building building tools. Like these are things that fit into right, right, exactly. Yeah, like stone yeah. tools. Right. To me, it's just the pace. Uh, like if you just introduce something too fast and everyone starts using it, it could be dangerous, you know? But if you slowly start to evolve, then that's okay, as long as it's at the right pace. Yeah, but that's the history of technology, isn't it? Like, we create things too fast, they ruin stuff, and then we realize, and then we make the changes. Yeah, it's too, it's a lot of times it's after the damage yeah. is done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. Well, we chased, chased a rabbit down the trail there. Uh, <laughs> um, I think, I, I don't think I had a, another question, um, but I did want to go back to, um, the Iliad. So mm -hmm. we, we just finished our long conversation about human nature and Homer really helps us understand, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that human nature really is the same. Um, although there are some differences in how we ritualize violence and we may be mm -hmm. actually missing out on that, um, because mm -hmm. we're not, you know, participating in the same things. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other, uh, insights that you were, um, kind of pulling? Yeah. From the so I want to talk also about the gods. The gods are very interesting because one thing that jumped out at me like in the book i'm reading there's this like introduction by the translator and he's basically like the gods are different he's saying like the gods are similar they still get mad and stuff but they're different in that they're immortal or whatever and what jumped out at me though was just the incredible similarity of the gods to the humans i mean you like it's almost like a mirror image like the the Ag agamemnon and achilles are fighting each other about some they want to both be honorable some prize and the, the gods do the exact same thing they're like i i'm rooting for the tro trojans how could you offend me like that and then they they do things out of spite all the time and so it's just like so that's another thing that jumped out at me was the the um similarity of the gods um do you have something you want to say or i could go to the next uh i mean i can touch there I think there are there are some really interesting um, kind of parallels to Christianity. Um, I think this may be one area where I could open some doors to like maybe some people have some idea of what Christianity is, and I could offer an alternative perspective. Um, so like if you're thinking about Christianity, what are, what's like one of the main, um, ideas that you think of, um, mm -hmm. like, oh, this is, this is Christianity, especially in co contrast to, you know, something like the Iliad. Yeah. So I think like, I'll just say pre Gerard kind of like just based on my, um, what I picked up from popular culture is that mm -hmm. Christianity is traditional. It's um love thy neighbor mm -hmm. and there's 
the I, I definitely got like the you do you follow the rules you go to heaven you don't you go to hell that i also and, got and that vibe about, and what about god him, himself like what oh yeah what does christianity say so god is super nice he's loving he's kind okay yeah and he like he's gonna he take care of you and you just gotta put your faith in him and he'll look out for you yeah and there's mm-hmm. one there's one yes that's <laughs> A lot of, I think a lot of people think like the world that Homer is describing and the world that Christians are describing can't coexist Mm. because you think either I have this one God who's loving and kind, or I have this, a bunch of these chaotic gods who are all like crazy and basically have human interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't want to go like deep into the theology. Um, but there is a way that you could interpret the Bible, which is not that far. It's not like a crazy interpretation that would say the gods in the Iliad are either like fallen angels or angel. Like you could say there's room for lesser spiritual beings so Mm -hmm. if you look you think about you have to transport yourself back into this time period where Mm -hmm. that this is the spiritual is their best way of explaining things that they don't understand and the way that um the way that the world works so Mm -hmm. i kind of like to compare the way that we think about like a law of physics or like the laws of physics, that's yeah. kind of how they're thinking about the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could actually interpret um, the Bible as saying, and, and the Bible does say this, that there are lesser spiritual beings, which are kind of overseeing mm-hmm. the world um, mm-hmm. and either causing order or disorder. Um, so mm-hmm. like there's a, a verse where Paul is talking about like, um the i think it's like basically just like the powers and principalities but it's like spiritual beings which are ruling over um people groups so mm-hmm. when two people groups go to war he actually is describing it as two spiritual beings going to war mm-hmm. um so again same thing right um so Mm uh okay you were just talking about the gods and how they're like they're they act kind of human um Mm -hmm. all i wanted to say there is just that like that i i actually tend to think that christianity would agree um and that there's a pretty rich theological um area of saying like uh trying to attribute interpersonal conflict and geopolitical conflict to spiritual governing bodies. Um, And in order to do that, you kind of have to make them, you know, they have personal interests, they uh, have pride and envy Mm -hmm. and they, you know, um, so I just kind of wanted to open the door to like, Mm -hmm. that's not, 
that idea can coexist with a Christian world. Um, Cause mm -hmm. I think that's a super compelling reason um, to like, listen to both the Iliad and the Bible. So, all right. Okay. Wait, so let me try to understand though. So basically you're saying the angels from the Bible are like, they're spiritual. So they're not fully human, mm -hmm. but they're not, they're not the one God either. And so that's kind of similar to what, similar to the Greek gods, in that they are not fully, they're not, they're, they're not fully human and they're not uh, all powerful or all loving like the Christian God. Right. Now, and there's nuance when the Bible kind of describes good and bad angels, right? So there's like angels of the Lord who are just like messengers for the one true God. And then there are, um, there are like demons, obviously. So like fallen angels. Um, and even when you think, uh, if you read the old Testament, mm -hmm. um, there are other people groups worshiping other quote unquote gods. So mm -hmm. they're like doing human sacrifice or these different rituals to worship other gods. Mm -hmm. um, and the Bible doesn't say, oh, well, your God doesn't exist. It says, no, our God is way more powerful than, than your God. Our mm -hmm. God is the one true God. You're worshiping a false God. Not mm -hmm. that your God doesn't exist. Um, so... Mm -hmm. The Bible actually leaves room for the quote unquote little G gods like mm. uh, like Zeus. You know, it never talks about Zeus, but mm -hmm. you could imagine a world in which it leaves room for Zeus as a real mm. existing spiritual being who may be a. Okay, side tangent. Did you read or do you know about um, how much you know about like the theology of Satan? Um, and kind of like little, very little. Okay. So this is actually in Gerard's book. I see Satan fall like lightning. He has a section mm -hmm. on Satan. The basic story is Satan was actually God's one of God's like number one angels. Mm -hmm. Um, but then because of envy, so he was jealous of God for the mm -hmm. power that he had, mm -hmm. he rebelled against God. Mm -hmm. and was like cast down whatever that means but basically he he kept his status or his his existence as a um spiritual being but yeah. he cor basically corrupted himself um mm. so one way of interpreting the other gods the false gods that people are worshiping is mm -hmm. saying they're actually just worshiping other angels that fell like Satan did. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and that would kind of explain why there's this level of pride and like jostling for power, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that did that answer your question? I can't remember what your question was. Um, I was trying to understand you're saying they're spiritual and they're human. That's right. So that's how the human aspect could get or the quote unquote human aspect mm -hmm. um, where, where they're like 
kind of experiencing emotions and acting they're like they get angry and stuff like that mm -hmm. that could be explained through um them being the fallen like essentially like almost demons um mm -hmm. like bad versions of the angels mm -hmm. um which i think you can kind of see in the iliad when like they're like cheating on each other and sleeping together and like getting pissed at each other so mm -hmm. for um, sure for sure yeah. so yeah i mean i guess to do what you do to me which is so basically what i understand you're saying is people think that the iliad and the christian um both their narratives can't coexist you're saying they can but what does that mean for us like how how do we where do we go from there yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, so I would say there's two ways of looking at it, right? I was in a pro, you know, in my program, which was Christian assumptions that allows you to look at the Iliad from a Christian perspective and say, what's going on here? Because mm -hmm. instead of writing it off, you can say, oh, this book has a lot of true stuff in it. Mm -hmm where how do we find that how do we decipher you know what's good what's not that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so if you're operating from a christian perspective you could uh you could do it that way if mm. you're operating from an agnostic perspective mm -hmm. then i think you can do the same thing right you're saying i'm looking for the truth um and there's something that resonates with me from the Iliad, which is like, oh, um, these people seem to be swayed by these like, uh, forces almost that make them go to battle. Right. And that's kind of like what Homer's describing with the, the gods is like this supernatural, more than human force that draws people to fight and you know, be victorious and stuff like that. That doesn't have to, that can coexist with the idea of, um, one God who represents all things good. So mm -hmm. if you were to, um, you're like, again, from an agnostic perspective, you're like, okay, it seems like maybe there's, even if I don't believe fully in like a Christian God, I can see kind of like this idea of, a God who created the world and um, represents all the, you know, is the loving and um, uh, looking out for your best interests, God. Mm -hmm. um, there's like something there that's true as well. Um, and so I would say like, if you're trying to take bits and pieces from um, the best books ever written, you know, some mm -hmm. of the best books ever written, you don't have to write, you don't have to cancel them out. Um, you can say, you can mm. dig deeper and see how they align. And mm. I would actually argue, remember in our first conversation about Gerard and he was saying, everyone is looking for the differences between the classical books, but yes, you can also look for the similarities. Mm -hmm. This would be an example of like what people would assume to be a difference but is actually, right. you could dig deeper and find a similarity there. 
Mm. And the similarities may actually point more to the truth than mm -hmm. the differences do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So it's like you kind of, from a Christian perspective, it opens up your world to new ideas. And from an agnostic perspective, it allows you to connect things that were previously, you know, contrasted. Right. But, um, yeah. And, go ahead. and I think that that's to me, if I'm trying to, if I'm talking to you, somebody who's doesn't believe in the, doesn't believe that the Bible like is completely true. Right. Right. All I'm saying is like this, the same way that the Iliad says true things about the world, the Bible does too. And they don't have to, just because the Iliad says one thing and the Bible says a seemingly different thing, mm -hmm. they don't have to, um, they can coexist. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. So, so, sorry, but just like to drive the point home mm -hmm. for you and for anybody else who would be listening, like, Biblical ideas, I think a lot of Christians want to treat uh, Christianity like either, either, oh, no, you don't read the Bible at all, and you're not a Christian, and blah, 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 or it's like, boom, you're, you've become a Christian, and you know all the Bible, and you believe only the Bible, mm -hmm. and I would like to open up that spectrum just a little bit to say, no, there's some space to say, to treat the Bible as a great book because it is one. Um, and there's truth to be found mm. whether you believe the whole story or not. Um, mm. and ultimately I choose to believe the whole story, but there is, there is a spectrum. That's interesting. Yeah. With yeah. I mean, go ahead. Oh no, you go. I was just going to say like, I don't know. It's interesting to me because. I feel like our world, our worlds are very different in that we, um, I don't know, like you're, I don't want to, it's, I don't want to be offensive, but it's like, you're kind of like, you're all in on one, um, you're kind of all in on Christianity, right? And so it's like, a little bit different in that way but it's also that um you know a lot of times yeah i don't i don't even know what i'm trying to say but... no i'm i think um so a lot of people who are all in on christianity don't give room to other people who believe different things yeah and my goal, what I have found to be the case in my four years of reading, like, you know, all these interesting mm -hmm. books and stuff is that there are true things that aren't in the Christian canon. Mm. And my goal is not to say, oh, those things are actually like lies or deceit. It's like, no, if I believe that. God is who he says he is, then 
anything that's true should mm-hmm. align with what I believe. And so mm-hmm. when I encounter new true things, it either needs, either my belief needs to be adjusted mm-hmm. or um, I need to find a way to fit the new true thing into the, um, the belief that I have. Right. Mm-hmm. So while I am bought into this belief, it's not that different from from what you believe about the world, mm-hmm. which is, you know, there, it's a different set of beliefs, but you're doing mm-hmm. the same thing. You're getting new information and then either incorporating it into what you believe or changing mm-hmm. what you believe. Uh, right. That's kind of, that's exactly what I was trying to say is like, how do you, because you obviously encounter all these ideas that um, at, at least at first glance go against your, some of the Christian values, you know? And right. so it's like, and I feel like the reason I was saying it was similar is because I have certain beliefs that I find like so true that I just, um, whenever I get a new, whenever someone tells me, whenever I read a book that disagrees with it, I almost get angry. I get offended, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just saying like how it's like, how I was wondering how you navigate those new ideas and like, yeah, yeah, how you are able, because like when I read a book that I don't agree with, I just close it, I'm done. You know, I don't, I okay. want to read things I agree with kind of in some way. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, that's a really good point. Patience is a big part of it, right? So holding out your judgment until you, have heard out the whole argument. So I wouldn't, which I'm, you know, I know you do this, you know, you do a good job at this, but like, I wouldn't go to read Taleb and then read the first page and be like, Oh, I don't agree with this. Right. I I don't like this. I would Mm -hmm. say, okay, I want to get inside the author's head. I want to understand what is it that Homer is saying? What is it that Taleb is saying? What mm-hmm. is it that the Bible is saying? Um, and and hear that full argument out before mm-hmm. I say, oh, I agree with this or I don't. Right. That was one of the, the most annoying things about the Tory program, this great books program, is when mm-hmm. you come into like a Nietzsche session, right? Mm-hmm. So Nietzsche, who's like actively saying Christianity is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So many people come into that session and they're like, oh, well, Nietzsche's wrong. So, uh, you know, this, that we shouldn't listen to this part. Mm-hmm. But to me, I'm like, isn't that the exact part that you, you do want to pay attention to, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's very much like, um, Taleb's idea of the anti-library. Right. Like the yeah. most that's valuable. exactly what I was going to say. Yeah the most valuable information is the information you don't have yet. Yeah. Um, and so I think what, what eventually happened personally, you're asking like, how do you encounter this new information and not get flustered by it? Right. Mm-hmm. The eventually what happened to me is that I realized that I thought my, like my knowledge was this big mm-hmm. and there was like just a, another circle, like just outside of it. Mm-hmm. But what I've realized is like, no, what I know is this big and it's just right. like infinite. There's so much valuable information that I don't know. 
mm-hmm. even even theologically some of the mm-hmm. best uh theologians or people who are basically just people who are thinking about god um they're they're part of their argument is like you can't fully know god you can't fully mm-hmm. understand something that transcends you um mm-hmm. And so to make a claim that you, you know, to make a claim of belief about God without having some level of humility, um, to me, that feels like a foolish decision. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think the the biggest thing, right, is patience, but Mm -hmm. and part of it is experience. So you just have to keep getting bombarded with stuff you don't agree with mm-hmm. and eventually you realize you start to have that realization of the anti anti-library which is that the most valuable information is the information you don't know mm-hmm. um, and that's helped me cultivate an attitude of learning and gaining new information rather mm-hmm. than just holding on to the stuff that i think i know mm-hmm. For sure. This reminds me of, um, so I was, I was, I read a little bit of Karl Popper's book, uh, The Logic of Scientific Discovery. Mm-hmm. And Taleb got the black swan. Well, Taleb, a lot of his ideas are influenced by Karl Popper. And one of the things is that, well, what Karl Popper was saying in this book is that how do we dis- decide between what's science and what's not science. And and the original intuitive definition is that it's evidence-based. You make a claim, you have to back it up with evidence. But there's this problem of that, by giving that definition, you you allow room for things like, um, what's it called when they do your birthday sign thing? Oh, like Aries. Yeah, you yeah. leave room for things like astrology, where they say they make a claim, and then if something happens, let's say, okay, so let's say I say your personality is going to be open-minded and disciplined, and then, mm-hmm. and then I find out that you're disciplined or whatever, and I said like either you're open-minded or disciplined, so I'm going to be right either way, kind of. You know what I'm trying to say? Like basically. Either way it happens, they're going to be right. You find evidence that confirms what you, what you exactly. hypothesize. Yeah. Exactly. So actually, it's almost the opposite. Science, what Popper was saying, is that science is things that allow for themselves to be false. Or when you make the claim, you're making a claim that can be disproven. Mm-hmm. And what he calls falsified. And so the way I kind of think about what you're saying about what you need to know, the most important things are things you disagree with kind of, is that um, I'm always looking for something to falsify my belief. Perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like I can have a hundred pieces of evidence that um, confirm my belief, and that's great, but it's not as useful to me as the one thing that changes my belief, right? So it's kind of like I'm always, yeah. Yeah, so, that's, I mean, that's that's right on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Poplar is really interesting. But um, I also oh, go sorry. ahead. No, I I'm sorry, I I kept cutting you off. But essentially, I I think that's that's perfect. Like, and that's the only way you can grow, right? Is if you mm-hmm. expose your yourself to the areas where you could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, if you only build up in the areas where you already think you're right, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not, yeah, you're not growing. Yeah. And it's such an obvious, simple idea, but it, in practice, I find it's very hard to follow because um, it's like almost like the way I think about it is our search algorithm for new information is, is search is like, searching for things that we already know kind of it's like the exact and you get rewarded when you encounter you feel good when you encounter information that confirms your belief you're like i told you i was right yeah and it feels it feels bad like i was saying when i encounter ideas that i disagree with it stresses me out when i find something that that proves me wrong at first but then it's rewarding because then it's like you're learning, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the reward of having your belief changed to become something more accurate is actually greater than the reward of right. just finding something that agrees with you. Yeah, it's um, like a short term versus a long term. Yeah. And I, I also think you hear people talking often now about the danger of the social media algorithms and how you hear you hear only the things that are catered to what you already believe um Mm -hmm. and i can't help but think like what would a social media algorithm look like that the anti-library algorithm Mm -hmm. you know that only shows you the things that you're the least familiar and exposed to Mm -hmm. that's a that's that's an interesting idea Mm -hmm. yeah that would be awesome we should make an app yeah, that has mm-hmm. social media, but the opposite. Oh, okay. that's interesting. We do that. We should we should brainstorm that a little bit. See if that's even possible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. it seems like it's possible because you would just do a negative to whatever value they're associating. Okay. The... Yeah, you're the you're the programmer. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, since we're We've been talking a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me one more uh, insight from the Iliad. Okay. Uh, or how many more do you have? Um, so uh, I have a few, two or three, but I'll just mm-hmm. give one. Let me just give one. So basically, all right. Um. I don't know which one to talk about, but I'll just say, okay, so there's a few things. One is I like to pay attention to the technology that they're using. It's just kind of interesting to me to see, get into their world. What was their world like? Um, and it, it's interesting because the, the, the warrior, like in terms of what skills are valuable then, they're still valuable too. So uh, the obvious one is the warrior kind of a fighter. And we still have to some extent those type of people. They're different. They use guns and like like bodyguards and stuff like that. 
So I was thinking about, oh, okay, so that's still kind of valuable. It's crazy how long being able to fight has been useful. Yeah. And then I was thinking about, there's a scene where uh, I think it might have been the Ajax one-on-one. Maybe not, though. But some guy gets shot or gets hit with a spear, and it goes through all seven layers. I like how they describe, like, every seven layers. And then God stops it on the last level. They always do that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in this case, he got hit with it, but it wasn't deadly. And then, boom, the medic rushes in. And I was like, whoa, the doc- doctors are still so important back then. Um, and being able to treat wounds like that. So I was like, whoa, maybe I should be a doctor because that's going to be like always been valuable. I don't know. It's kind of not that cool, but <laughs> no, no. Hey, I think that's, that is interesting. And, and I do think there is some, uh, what was the principle with the plays about like how long something was? Lindy effect. Right. So I, there, I think you could make an argument there with professions that there's a Lindy effect that, right. that there are some key roles in society which have never changed and will always be safe because they're you know they're never Mm -hmm. going to change basically Mm -hmm. the the medic probably the general you know the Mm -hmm. the leader of war um the political leader um that you know you could Mm -hmm. imagine more but i think that probably applies there too yeah also like agamemnon a lot of the leaders they talk about how they're well spoken and they give good speeches and so i was like oh that's another one where public speaking is actually still important being able to convince people of something you know yeah that was another skill yes definitely that that's been a skill that has kind of driven me a little bit and part of the reason for the podcast is honestly for me to get better at communicating even Mm -hmm. there are so many other reasons why i do it too but i'm like at the Mm -hmm. very least I'm learning how to do that well, you know, speak well. Mm-hmm. Um, because while that's not a quantifiable skill, really, mm-hmm. it is still an extremely important one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like, when I go on LinkedIn, and I try to apply to jobs. They're, they're like two years of experience or whatever. And they're like, you need to know Python. But under every single, every single job is communicate effectively, writes well. Because every job you need to do that. So that's like an incredibly um, robust skill when you think about like mm-hmm. how many jobs it could help you. So that's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, keep me keep me going on the list. Is there any, any other technologies or any other insights from Ilya? Um, so another thing I noticed was, it was like you were saying about before about how God is like their physics. And... Mm um it's almost every paragraph it's god struck lightning so that ix had to retreat or it, god is so pervasive he mm. and i notice like he influenced every single event and in terms of like the the intro to my book was like the humans still have free will and i was like okay yeah. they a little bit but for the most part it's just god is doing everything and that was my impression. And so I was like, whoa, like, God, you know, it's hard for us to imagine 
their world is so dominated by the supernatural being and every single thing they and every single thing that happens in the book is got is explained pretty much by god you know yeah yeah that's super interesting i i don't even know i would have to think about that one for a while (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's it all right cool well unfortunately i have to go uh oh you gotta go i would have loved it yeah i would have loved to continue talking um Mm -hmm. but i know you know we got more in the bag so for sure this was fantastic Uh, i know so we covered uh human nature ai technology we talked about gods um we talked about um learning and falsifying your own beliefs um Mm -hmm. we talked about and and then yeah here at the end we kind of talked about we talked about monotheism versus um yeah that's right that one too or not it's not versus though (laughs) my bad my bad (laughs) Yeah. yeah so we covered a lot a lot of good stuff um but yeah well willem thank you again We'll continue to do it. These are my favorite episodes to record. Thank uh, you. I love it. Yeah. And also, if Matias listening to this, I'm about to go fry you um, at Brooklyn <laughs> Bridge go. Park. So just just make sure you Let's know I'm coming. Matias, <laughs> make it all the way to the end. You got to listen to the last. We're an hour and eight minutes in. Come listen to Willem. All right. Peace out. Yep. Yeah.